I'm going to read this morning from Daniel chapter 4, uh, towards the end of it. We, we had, as I mentioned, an election this past week, and we, I noticed on Wednesday there was a lot of talk about power and uh, obtaining power, taking away power, restoring power, celebrating power. And just think of the contrast that is with Orphan Sunday today in which, like we said, that you've got the commands to take care of the fatherless, the Orphan Sunday is a celebration of the powerless. Not only did God give laws warning his people regarding taking care of the powerless, uh, the prophets, if you read through the prophets, they rebuke God's people over and over again for not giving justice to the powerless, to the widows and the orphans and the sojourners. What's fascinating is that God, who is the Almighty One, we're going to talk about God as being all-powerful this morning. He calls his people to look after the powerless because that's what he does. Now, he does an awful lot of it through his people, uh, that, that we are, we are his vehicles. But uh, his, his warnings of, against abuse of the powerless or of depriving them of justice uh, are, are strong. Because he, as one with power, is not like that, of depriving justice or of uh, abusing those who, who are in a powerless situation. He expects those whom he grants power to act like him. So, of course, we'd want to pray that for our leaders. You know, one of the great political leaders in history uh, learned this lesson the hard way, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, was, of course, one of the kings of the Babylonian Empire, and he was without peer in his day. He was leader of the greatest empire of that period, and he was being celebrated. He was being honored, uh, and he took it to heart, and he kind of owned it and, and thought about how worthy he was and how he was greater than everybody and everything, and so God humbled him, and he took away his senses, took away his sanity, literally, I mean, he, 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 Nebuchadnezzar withdrew from civilization and he abandoned his senses and said he was uh, living like a beast of the field, eating grass and growing long hair and long fingernails. And, and then one day he came to his senses regarding his place in the cosmos and what God was like. So I, I'm going to read to you Daniel 4, verses 34 and 35, and we hear what Nebuchadnezzar came to say. He said, At the end of my days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my re reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and I praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. And his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Let's pray and ask God to help us understand as well as Nebuchadnezzar did, what it is that God is powerful and, and full of all knowledge. Father, although this man, Nebuchadnezzar, had power that none of us will ever dream of. Uh, we, we can be prone just as much as him to think that we are the center of, 
uh, of power and, and, and hope uh, in a way that dims you. So give, give us ears to hear and eyes to see uh, and hearts that receive you as you are in your omnipotence, uh, in your omniscience, your all wise ways. Uh, meet with us, we ask, uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Notice how Nebuchadnezzar here, he speaks about God being all-powerful. He says, there's none that can stay his hand. He does according to his will. Whether it's among all the angels, the, the, the uh, immortal ones, uh, or, or whether it's here on earth. It also says that he's, he's omniscient. He's all-wise. It says, who can tell, say to him, what were you doing? Uh, to God. It's, it's this picture that no one can call him into question in his wisdom as to why he does what he does or, or, or of knowing what needs to be done in a given time. Now, if we're honest, every single one of us in this room has you know, done that at some point and often frequently. Uh, and so it's a, it's, it's a reminder and yet the reality of God being subject to that kind of an accusation, that kind of a question, uh, is powerful. So we're going to think this morning, we've, we're in the middle of a series where we're talking about uh, God, the, the glorious excellencies, the attributes of God in his transcendence as a great God, ways in which he's different. And we've talked about him being an eternal, and we've talked about him being unchangeable, that is immutable, uh, and uh, and un, unsearchable, that he's incomprehensible. This morning we're looking at the fact that he's all-powerful, the word is omnipotence, and that he's all-knowing, it's omniscience, and that he's all-wise. And we want to break those down a little bit and then think about what those mean in, in our lives. What, what is it that God is omnipotent? Way back in the day, used to say Omni, and everybody knew the Omni in Atlanta because that's where the Hawks played, but the Omni's not there anymore. But the reason they called it the Omni was it was, it was a, a stadium that was built to be able to be used by all these different sports teams, whether it was hockey or basketball or circuses, or they could have all sorts of events in this one, this one building, this coliseum. And Omni just means everything. And potent means power. Potent is power. So it's that God has all power. Now, it's not just that God is powerful. It's that he's all powerful. And we don't mean that God has power. It's not that something, power isn't something God possesses. Power is who God is. Okay? And being his attributes, just, it's also who he is in his essence. It, God's attributes are who he is. And last week we talked about him being eternal. He's got eternal power. The etern him being eternal and him being powerful aren't separate parts. They are descriptive of each other. His power is eternal. His eternity is powerful. And that always in all spheres, in all circumstances, with no exceptions, God is power. The first thing that the Bible tells us is that God, it describes God's power in terms of creation. You see his power by all the things that he's made, that he made everything from nothing. There was nothing there. The, the Latin term is ex nihilo, from nothing. In Jeremiah 32, he says, Ah, Lord God, it is you who made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. 
they, they looked at what God had made and they looked at the grandeur and they realized we can't do anything like that. That's why when God spoke to Job in the last chapters of Job, he said, where were you and I made this? Where were you and I made this? Where were you and I made this? Where? And he, he just, he reduces Job, who, who, was start, who was ready to kind of get up in God's face and say, you know, I haven't done anything wrong. And he reminds Job of who he is. And Job just backs down and he says, I can't believe I even opened my mouth. He realized nothing's too hard for God. This is the almighty God. And it was uh, wonderfully uh, recalibrating uh, for Job in that instance. So God, he made everything. It's also that God sustains everything. That he made everything and he keeps everything in place and it says he does it just by his word. He doesn't have to, God, God doesn't sweat. There's, there's no effort expended by God. He just speaks, he thinks the, everything into being. The next thing that being omnipotent means is that he's dependent on no one. You know, Nebuchadnezzar just kind of like other power like Alexander the Great or Attila the Hun or Genghis Khan or Eisenhower with the, uh, in the Second World War, they, their, their, pite, their might and their power was all dependent on their troops, right? If they didn't have troops that were faithful to them and that they didn't orchestrate with, with, with wisdom, they would have no power. Well, God's power, unlike them, is entirely self-generated. He doesn't need anybody or anything else. He works. He, he executes his power. He, he does his works through us. He, we call it mediates them or mediators. But God does, God's totally independent. He, he doesn't need anything from anybody. That's why he created everything from nothing, ex nihilo. Third, in God's power, he accomplishes everything that he wills. In other words, this, this comes from his independence. There's nothing and no one that stops God from doing what he wants. God, if God purposes things, he accomplishes it. In Psalm 135, for example, he says, For I know that the Lord is great, and that our Lord is above all gods. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. In heaven and on earth, which basically incorporates everything, everywhere in the seas and all the deeps, in the, in the most remote places that they could comprehend in that day. He says, God accomplishes exactly what he wants. And so God has this independence through which he carries out his power. Now, I wanna, as a side note, God accomplishes and does most of what he does in our world through what we call secondary means. Okay, we call it an immediate power, a immediate uh, Mediate, in other words, through mediators. So you're here this morning by God's power. He woke you up. He gave you breath in your lungs. He gave you a heart inclined to God, so you wanted to come give him worship. Or he gave you parents who dragged you out of bed to come. Or, you know, I mean, <laughs> by his power, he got you here. Uh, or a spouse that brought you here or whatever. Um, that, uh, but, but it's God's power. We, we, we often can fall subject to thinking about uh, God just working directly, which he does, and he's capable of. But most of it is through what the natural means that he's established. There, there's no mother nature. It's God. It's God. Nature is powerful and works 
and creates and recreates and sustains you know, seeds and fertilizing and growing. Metamorphosis happens because God put, it's, it's God's power. And sometimes we can find a, a, a danger. I, I want to be careful because I don't want to make, make you so self-conscious uh, that, that you're looking over your shoulder all the time. But one of the dangers, we'll talk about God things. And usually what we mean is something that is, feels like it was directly God working. And I'm not saying that wasn't a God thing. But the danger of looking at life through the idea of, oh, that was a God thing. It was so neat because I saw God working. Is that can make us feel like God only works in those times where it's clearly God. And we have huge expanses and gaps in our lives where we don't see that. And we can fall into the wrong thinking that, oh, God's not working. I don't see God working, so therefore I'm, I'm scared, I'm fearful, I'm anxious, I'm lonely. And the good news of God's omnipotence is that he is always working. You being here this morning is a God thing. Everything is a God thing because God is always at work. And, and, and one of the, as, as we think about applications, it's, it's that that brings praise to him for, for how great that he is, that he's so big. He, he, could, he could bypass other means and, and mediated works, and sometimes he does. We call that immediate when God's immediate is that, bam, he works through. And, and, and there are times he does. But those are the exception because he has established a world and he's created uh, processes that work themselves out. And that's how he exerts his power through those things. The, the, the last part of his definition is that his, he has absolute power. He's got the ability to do all things. But because, and some of y'all were here, we talked about God being simple. And we said that God is simple. What that means is God doesn't have separate parts. Everything is one. I talked about he's not eternal and he's not powerful. He's, he's eternally powerful, uh, that he is eternal love, that his, his, his power is always loving. His power is always holy. Well, it also means that his ability, his power and his will, what he wants, what he decides, what he determines, can't be divorced from his moral nature. So you may be in a philosophy class. You may read one of these books or, or hear somebody say on a TED Talk or something, you know, well, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? And it makes it sound, how can God be all-powerful if he can't create a rock that's so big he can't lift it? Well, if you phrase it correctly, it's what you're really saying is, asking is, can God create a, a rock that is unliftable by the one for whom nothing is impossible? And so the point is you're... you're you're asking if he can do something that's just an illusion. It's just a fiction. It's, it's impossible, period, just through logic and, and, and reason. Or similarly, people ask, well, is it possible for God to create someone who can see, keep a secret that even God doesn't know? Well, in the same way, we're going to talk about how God is omniscient. God knows all things, but God's knowledge... It's not only that God knows all things. God's knowledge is prior. His knowledge comes before anything is even created. So, again, the, the reason that question, which sounds like a way to trick God and to show that he's not as powerful as we want to think that he is, is that the, the question itself is, is a fallacy. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't hold up against, against you know, logic and reason and how pieces fit together. So what do you do with God's omnipotence? What, how does that matter in your life? 
The first thing is, is worship. Margaret and I recently have been uh, watching, the, there's a series on Warning Channel or History Channel, one of those channels, uh, called The Foods That Built America. You may have seen it. We, we recorded it and we've been watching bits and pieces where it talks about like Milton Hershey and how he brought milk chocolate to America and, established, and built a city and built a, a factory and produced an American version of, of milk chocolate or William Kellogg who invented cereal when all of a sudden our society became industrialized and people weren't living on farms able to make their own food that took forever and they had to get to work and they had something quick they could throw in a bowl and pour milk on it fast and it just took off. And the, uh, just the, the story behind how that unfolded or Clarence Birdseye uh, who invented frozen food. I mean, he didn't invent it. People had been freezing food, but it was really nasty. <laughs> he was able to figure out how to freeze it well, uh, and, and he did well according. And, you know, it's fascinating to hear these stories, and, and, and these people are celebrated. They're cel you know, celebrated all of our boxes of cornflakes and, and the, the outside of uh, containers that we see. And it, how much more the one who created everything and even gave human beings the ability, the capacity to invent. How much more should we just be celebrating him? And that's the heart of what worship is. That's what God is, as, he, as you read all throughout the Bible from the early times, as you read in the Psalms, as it talks about, here's the things that God made. Here's the things that God put together. The idea is to create awe in us, that we live in response, that it causes us to drop our jaw and to, uh, to, to, to fear God, uh, even as uh, Nebuchadnezzar did. A second application is, uh, is really his omnipotence is a warning uh, to those who have not bowed their knee to Christ, to, to God as your king and, and as your savior, because if he's omnipotent, there, there's no avoiding his, his strength and his might and his, and his purposes. Stephen Charnock wrote, he said, can we poor worms strut it out against infinite power? We can't avoid who God is. The good news is, as you turn to I mean, he's, he's given us access to him so we don't have to fear his power through his son, Jesus. And if, and if you turn to Christ and embrace him to be the one who's, who's lived the life that you ought to live, who's died the death that, that you deserve to die, that he gives great comfort. In fact, other applications, he gives comfort to us in prayer because of his power. Ephesians 3.20 is one of my all-time, just early on, I got planted in my consciousness. Paul writes, to him who is able to do, here's his power, far more abundantly or exceeding abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. I mean, does that help you in your praying? When you pray and then wrap up your prayer by saying, thank you, Father, and you can use his words that you do far more abundantly beyond all I could ask or think. Beyond, beyond. Not just abundantly beyond, far more abundantly, exceeding abundantly beyond what we could ask or think according to what? The power that's at work within us. He can work on us and then change us. And that bulks us up in our prayers. As well as, again, the, the famous verse, but it's true in Romans 8. Where he says, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to his purpose. All things. Again, the Greek, the word for all is all, everything. There's not one thing in the entire cosmos that if you love him, that he's not working together for good. Why? Because he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you're his, whatever is happening in your life, whatever's happening, how bad, there's, some of y'all have some pretty gnarly stuff going on right now, just hurtful, painful, grief, uh, fears, temptations that you're just battling with. Whatever's happening, he, he, if you're his, he's using it for good to conform you to the image of his son. He says he's got a mission. He's got an unalterable commitment to be conforming you to the image of his son. And his son, Jesus, is, is in his image. as He has God. And so, in other words, he's, he's making you godly. He's making you like him. It doesn't mean that, it, you know, when, he, when he's melting you and molding you, he's applying heat and pressure. Well, things can be hard, but he is working it for good. That's power. I mean, to, to hear his power at work when it's at work for you is big. The next application, you know, God's power, it's absolute. You know, all things work together for good. It's, it's, it entire, entails everything. It's for good and for bad. Okay, it's the word we call providence. You, know, you got providence wrote up here. This is where providence comes from. In Deuteronomy, Moses wrote, See now that I, even I, am he. This is what God was speaking through Moses. See now that I, even I, am he, and there's no God beside me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal, and there's none that can deliver out of my hand. In Hebrew, none is none. Hannah, who was the mother of Samuel, uh, wrote, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol, that is to death, and he raises up. He rescues people from death. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. Now this can cause our hearts to kind of tremble to say, wait a minute, you're putting good things and bad things in, in God's hand. Is that, is that good news or is that bad news? Well, it depends on whether his absolute power is good. If, is his absolute power good? Well, that's one of his attributes. And because he's simple, it's not separate. Is it good? It's, it is good power. And it also depends on whether or not he's wise, which we'll talk about in a second. But if he's wise, which he is, he will apply it perfectly. He'll do the right thing. God's omnipotence tells us he's involved in, in all things. He doesn't relate to good and evil in the same way. Okay? Evil comes through secondary causes. Okay? God, God is not sin. I mean, you see the picture in those who killed Christ. Jews and Gentiles, they did it by their own personal choice. I mean, Peter, when he was preaching, we talked earlier about on the... Uh, Pentecost Day, he said, this Jesus, and listen to what he says, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God caused it to happen, but he says, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Both happened. God was, he was responsible in that it was in his decrees, but, but he was not, the, the evil came from the people who did it. 
in their own responsibility. And yet God used that for the greatest good. If he could take the worst injustice of all of history and he can use that for the greatest good of all eternity. He can, he, he can and does take everything else. God's permission of evil, it's never bare permission. But he's always causing good to result. You know, and God, this is going to sound strange, in God's omnipotence, God has limitations. God can't lie. That's what he says in the Bible. He can't lie. He, he can't go against his nature, against his, his righteousness. He can't deny himself. He can't act contrary to his holiness because he's simple. All those things are connected. So he's got wise power. It's eternally, immutably wise power. It's unchanging. It's perfectly correct, perfectly just, perfectly loving, perfectly glorious. Every attribute is you know, connected and fully expressed in another one, which kind of transitions us to his omniscience. Uh, Catherine Rogers uh, is a, a writer, a professor, and she writes, has this great statement that shows us how his omnipotence, his all-powerfulness, his almightiness connects with him knowing all things. She says, God's omnipotence entails that anything that has any sort of being at all besides God is kept in existence from moment to moment by God's causal power. That's what we call him sustaining all things. And then she says, since God's power is his knowledge, whatever is, is because it's being thought right now by God. You is because you're being thought right now by God. Our singing happens because it's being thought by God. That his thought and his power, his thoughts are executed by his deeds. That's why Augustine wrote that God doesn't know all creatures because they exist. He says they exist because he knows them. And he's writing the fifth century. So this isn't a new thought. These aren't complicated. These are old ancient thoughts. His knowledge is prior. So therefore, it causes everything that is and it causes everything that's happened. That's why in Isaiah 45, God said, I am the Lord and there is no other. I'm Yahweh. There is no other. Besides me, there's no God. I equip you, though you do not know me, that people may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there's none besides me. I am Yahweh and there's no other. He says, I form light and create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I'm the Lord who does these things. His omnipotence is expressed in the fact that he knows all things so that people will know him. In, in Psalm 94, it tells us, gives us a window on God knowing all things. He says, he who planted the ear, doesn't he hear? He who formed the eye, doesn't he see? He who disciplines the natures, doesn't he rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord, or Yahweh, he knows the thoughts of man, that they're but a breath. God knows everything that ever goes through your mind. That's why in Isaiah, again, Isaiah said, who has measured the spirit of the Lord, or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult? Who made him understand? God's understanding, it, it comes from himself, just like his power is self-generated. His knowledge, his understanding is self-generated. He knows what he knows. Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge that he showed his understanding? I mean, you and I, how do we learn? We learn by observing, right? We see things. We, we, we research. 
we, we uh, tie things together by, by reason and comparing induction and deduction. But God doesn't do that. All of God's knowledge is intuitive. What that means is it's innate. He, he, he knows it. God doesn't learn anything. He doesn't add to his knowledge. That helps us kind of calibrate when we're praying that you're not introducing anything new to God. You're not saying, wake up, God, here's something that's going on in this little corner of the world. He knows. Why pray then? Right? Why pray? Because God tells us to pray. And in some amazing way, in his complexity, in his brilliance, he has determined that our prayers are part of how he executes his power and his plan. I haven't figured out how to say that in English, but you know, we, we, know, we know what that means. And that's what God's trying to do. But he says, you pray. Because, and, and part of it's believing that in his thinking, he even plants the prayers on our hearts for which we cry. He puts the burden, he puts the, the yearning, he puts the burning in your heart to say, God, have mercy, work in this area. He wants us to, to pray and he uses that to, to answer prayers and, and to supply and to, to care for us. He, he doesn't discover anything, he doesn't forget. It's all of his knowledge is simultaneous. It's all at once. Now the reason it matters for us, Sam Storms just had a great statement. He said, every emotion Every feeling, an idea, every thought, every conception, every resolve you have, every aim, every doubt, every motive, every perplexity, every anxious moment that you have lies before God like an open book. He knows it all. You and I get surprised by things that we think of or that happen, that we do, that, we, that we're like, how did I do that? J.I. Packer gloriously wrote many years ago that God's love was set on us prior to anything so that whatever we do or say or think doesn't give him pause the way that it does to us. Because he's already paid for it. He knew it on the front. He, caught, he bought you, paid for you, knowing everything that you've thought, not just before you were converted, but everything since, and everything that you will, you know, all, all the sins you're going to commit before the day is out, before the week is out, before the year is out. He knew all that, and he still saved you. That's how you can know that he'll hold me fast, because he's been doing it all along, right? Why would he stop now? He's omnipotent. If you want, somebody, if you want to know if somebody's going to really hold you fast, and you find out they're omnipotent? Does that kind of help your confidence a little bit? Think about that. that. That he knows all things. He's not surprised. Classically in Psalm 139, we all know this passage. Oh, Lord, you've searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down, when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in, behind and before, and you lay your hand on me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's high, and I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Of 
course, the answer is nowhere. He's everywhere. Again, if you're not his, his omniscience, God being all-knowing, if you're holding him at arm's length, you need to surrender because he knows it all. And all that he knows about you will one day condemn you before him if you're trying to stand on your own feet. That's what it is to keep God at your own arm's length. It's saying, I'm good enough on my own. I can stand what's coming. Well, if he knows all things, he's omnipotent. That's pretty sketchy. That's why Jesus said, right after Jesus, you know, John 3.16 and John 3.18, he says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Okay, you're not condemned with all the things that he knows about your thoughts. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. In other words, believe today. Turn to, turn to him. Say, forgive me. You know me. You search me out. Change me. Forget, wash me clean. And that's what he'll do. Remembering that Psalm 139, too, it's just a powerful weapon to fight temptation, right? The more you remember God's omniscience of knowing all your thoughts. I mean, you know the tempter, you know the devil. He wants to, he wants to hide God's awareness from you in that moment. You know, he's got these spotlights, and he turns off the spotlight on God's awareness, and he turns on the spotlight of God's love and says, oh, he'll, he'll let it go, don't worry about it. And then as soon as, as soon as you sin, you give in to the temptation, he turns off the spotlight on God's love, and he turns on the spotlight on God's holiness and on God's omniscience, and he says, you're toast. That's how it works. That's one of the ways it works, temptation. He, he, wants to, he wants to customize the things that we're looking at or that we're listening to. Keep his omniscience before you. And just real quickly, in his omnipotence, his almightiness, and his all-knowing, you bring those together, and that's where his wisdom comes in. J.I. Packer said wisdom is the practical side of moral goodness. In other words, wisdom is doing right and good and well simultaneously. It's, it's using knowledge perfectly. That's what wisdom is. You do the right thing in the right manner for the right purposes. God is all wise. Scripture speaks of it repeatedly. We're, we're going to close with a great song, uh, God Moves in a Mysterious Way, and it has the application of God's wisdom. And uh, as, as we close, in Colossians 3, Paul writes and says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Sometimes we separate those last two phrases because there's a comma in between them. But what he's meaning is when we sing about God, we're admonishing one another. We're talking to one another. We're telling one another things. And so we're going to do that as we sing, uh, close to this great hymn, God, God Moves in a Mysterious Way. Uh, is, so let's, we're going to admonish one another in wisdom and what that means. So let me pray for us and then we'll... Uh, close our worship. Father, we praise you that you are all-powerful. I mean, there's the, the ramifications of that blow our minds. It's, it's incomprehensible. It's, it's in some ways alarming to us, the implications of what that means. We thank you that it's, it's hemmed in by the fact that you are good. You know all things. You could know everything and be all-powerful and be like the KGB, but you're not. You're good. You're wise. You're loving. You're holy. You're righteous. We're not. 
Help us to trust you. Remind us of what Jesus has done. And therefore, you will hold us fast. That we would trust in your power, in your knowledge, and your wisdom and how you apply it. Uh, that would impact, send repercussions, reverberations through the week ahead. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.